What happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object? We'll find out when we discuss our next chromic crossover cavalcade, Batman Aliens. Man, I love that theme song. It's so good. Isn't that a good theme song? I love it so much. It's um, as much as I love our our old theme, uh, I, I'm as a synthwave fan. I'm really digging the new one we have. Miles, friend, uh, how are you tonight? As we celebrate my birthday challenge. Yeah. Happy birthday, buddy! Thank you. Um, so this, this week, um, and this will be probably a case of a lot of our comic crossovers. There's not a whole lot of history that can be gleaned right now. I am sure there might've been some interviews in wizard magazine or comics illustrated back in 1997 when this crossover came out or, or even but something we're be like talking. Fangoria or something like that. Yeah. But, uh, Drew for his birthday wanted to talk about Batman aliens. And this book, uh, like I said, came out in 97. It was written by a veteran comics writer, Ron Mars, who was most known in DC at the time for his run on Green Lantern. He did the Emerald Twilight story, which saw the downfall into madness of Hal Jordan and the creation of Kyle Rayner, who's uh, coincidentally one of my favorite Green Lanterns. Um, <laughs> it's also interesting that Ron Mars worked on a number of the DC Marvel crossovers, uh, including mm-hmm. a number of Amalgam comics books, which again, yeah. one day we will talk about Amalgam on this show. I I, I, I fully plan on doing that one day. <laughs> but he he's, yeah, he's done a lot of crossovers. He uh, would go on to do Green Lantern versus Aliens. And the artist for this book, uh, Bernie Wrightson, was a very acclaimed horror comics artist and was mostly known for his pioneering work in co-creating DC's Swamp Thing and kind of helped bring horror into superhero comics. So you've got some pretty good talent in this book, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. bit. But because we do not have a kind of behind-the-scenes take for you, I wanted to go behind-the-scenes of the man who suggested we do this. Drew, this is your birthday challenge. And yeah. you, you said last week that you wanted you you took something that you loved and something that you were afraid of. <laughs> and and I kind of wanted to start there. Is is alien something that you were genuinely scared of as a kid? So keep in mind this is 1997 when this book comes out. So I would have been in 6th or 7th grade. Right. Um, and this is the prime time of movies show, being shown on cable channels typically right. edited for content and things like that and they would show alien and aliens on oh sci-fi channel usa network i'm not exactly sure which one typically probably late, both probably both typically late at night and i watched these movies for some reason i'm a science fiction fan I, the internet existed at this point so i was probably learning a little bit about things here and there and there's just you know, Miles, you and I have been recording together for a very long time, and you know that I do not like horror movies. I don't Correct. like them. I don't watch them. Uh, Which is why I was asking, because I wasn't being condescending, because I think it's really interesting. What about Aliens uh, scared you specifically? It's such a... It's legitimately scary, like, mm-hmm. in a way that a lot of horror movies are at some points just as goofy or just as funny as they are scary. At least I'm talking about the, your slash first films. film. What, what, what in back in the day would have been considered a horror movie, quote unquote, would have been like Freddy Krueger making a pun and Z slashes well, somebody in the, it's funny that you made that connection because alien is kind of like a combination between a haunted house and a slasher film in space. Right. But it's, it, it lacks. <sighs> any kind of levity. Um, I think aliens, the sequel makes up for that, but I think aliens uh-huh. is more of a, of an action movie than a, than a suspenseful thrill. It is. Uh, so, so this is where, why did I get into these movies? First off, I don't know. I don't know why I, I, I watched these movies. I watched, I watched them a lot. Anytime they were on, despite the fact that they 
terrified me. The concept of this, like the 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 HR Giger alien xenomorph design, is horrifying. And of course, it is. I mean, if you look at those old designs, even the concepts are extremely terrifying. And then you go and and because you have the internet, you look up other HR Giger works and you see like Baby Machine <laughs> and all sorts of other just. You realize you lucked out with aliens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but I think part of the reason why, uh, I think because I was on some level probably just as fascinated with why I got into this as I was with the thing itself. I'm struggling. So was the, was the gateway science fiction and because it was a science fiction film, that was your fascination, but it still terrified you, but you were still extremely fascinated by everything. Is that kind of where you're coming from? I think so. Because I mean, if you go back to, to alien and aliens, the world building is interesting. You've got uh, the, the whole life cycle of the xenomorph with the egg and the face hugger and the chest burster and all sorts of stuff. And, and, and what's well, also something you can kind of clinically look at, like there, there is a mythology, there is a biology there that you can kind of look at. It's not like an unknown thing, like a ghost or something supernatural. This is something you can look at clinically. And even if it still scares you, like I'm scared of snakes and I can look at documentaries and stuff. And I'll get the heebie-jeebies, but like I understand snakes, yeah. you know. But but so, so so with this, it's it's still also just the whole concept of how they operate. Like they don't just kill you; mm-hmm. they post you up, and they oh, it's horrifying. They use you, <laughs> and you're just hanging there waiting to die. And it's this horrifying, like what is the psychology of that that's going on? And it's something that they actually talk a bit about in this book, which is again, it is very interesting. So, Okay, so we have we have your you've you've seen aliens. You're you're scared of aliens, and then we 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 all I think everyone on the show, myself and the audience, know your love and our love of Batman. Sure, I mean, so this, we don't really have to go into that over and over again. No, but so this book comes out, and you mentioned this last week, and I thought it was really really cool about how it took something that you were scared of and took something you loved and put it together. What about that really spoke to you? To like, I have to read this. I think I was probably in a Barnes and Noble or a, a Borders or a Walden Books or whatever mall bookstore there was at the time. I, I was talking about Walden Books yesterday. I miss Walden Books. <laughs> and and so I so I'm at you know I'm at the height of my alien fascination. Uh, I'm at I, I'm always been into Batman. I've never been a huge Batman comics person, but I've watched all the movies. I've watched the TV show. I've watched the animated series and da 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 da. And and you're just walking through and you see this comic book cover that is half of Batman's face and half of a Xenomorph's face. Batman. Aliens. And, and it's, it's a gorgeous cover. Wrightson really knocked out of the part with this beautiful painted cover that's like like Drew said, it 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 melds those two faces together in 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 perfect harmony and it's it's the perfect cover, I think, for this yeah, book. Yeah, it's fantastic, and and so I will say this this issue this comic is a quote series. It's only two issues. There are two oversized issues. I have this in a collected edition of both of the issues. So I, I don't know when that came out. In, in it would have come out soon afterwards. I know, and I hate that they're going to be out of print very soon if they're not already. Uh, Dark Horse and DC had put out a lot of their. Uh, collections together because dc and dark horse did a lot of work together and uh, i think just prior to this there was a superman aliens comic that was equally serious and dark and i actually i don't think i ever finished it and i bought it for similar reasons that you did and it ends in a horrifying way of superman getting like uh hit with the the face hugger and you know that he's got a chest hugger in him and he's a, he's so far away from a, a yellow sun that he's 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 weak and so you're like, what's going to happen? And I, I still have to this day have not read the rest of that series. I don't need to. I don't need to to, to see the Kryptonian xenomorph. I don't need that with a little cape on. Actually, that'd be cool. <laughs> well, it, it's funny because I, I mentioned last week that I thought I knew how this series was going to go based off a NECA figure that had come out of a Joker xenomorph that was, I think, part of either the second one or the Superman and Batman one. I'm not sure. So I, so there is, we should also mention a 
Batman Aliens 2, which came out in, oh, what was that? 2002? 2003, I think. Um, I have not read this one. Based on the description, I'm not so sure that I would enjoy it. Uh, but there's there's also for all of you who clearly probably have YouTube, there is an amazing fan film that came out in 2003 that kind of set the fan the fan film world on fire called Batman Dead End. And in that you see Batman fight both Predator and Alien in I, I would find I would I would imagine um, in pretty movie perfect format. And he's kind of wearing that classic Alex Ross like black and gray outfit. <laughs> he looks Ross like Alex was, Ross painting come to life. <laughs> well, Alex Ross personally said that he it's the way that he's always wanted to see Batman on film, which is. <laughs> which and is honestly, there are some shots in that film. There's there's specifically a shot where he uh, where Batman comes down, lands on the uh, the street, and it's raining, and he stands up slowly, and you see kind of the cape that had kind of been blended into the street because of the rain lift with him, and it's just a really cool sight because it looks like he's just coming out from the shadows like he's made of shadow it's so cool uh so batman and alien has definitely been a concept for a while and it's i mean this is the cool thing about crossovers because you get things that you wouldn't necessarily put together and i i love that these two great flavors taste great together um so let's let's get into this book because i i am so Happy to say that I thought this was an awesome crossover. That's that's great. I really I thoroughly I enjoyed this probably more today than I did back in the day because I have so much more context for Batman. And well, and the cool thing about that is I feel like if you come at this crossover as an Aliens fan or as a Batman fan, you'll be pretty happy. As I stated in our Batman episode, there's kind of three Batman stories. There's Batman the superhero, Batman the street-level detective, and Batman the urban legend. And I was pretty impressed that they really used more of the street-level hero and urban legend aspect than the, the actual superhero part. And this was something that I was really interested in seeing in terms of... So a lot of these stories... Uh, a lot of these crossovers take place out of your normal comic book continuity because they have to, you can't have Batman being surprised at an alien ship, you know, because he's friends with Superman. So if you, if you take them out of context, <laughs> out of, out of continuity into the old school way of thinking that they existed in their own universe, it, you can make sense of it, you know, because yeah, there's no, there's no reason that Batman is fascinated by an alien ship if he's friends with a number of aliens, you know, <laughs> but even still in this, when they come across the alien ship, it's less that, Oh, it's an alien ship and more. I'm looking for someone, someone who was here. Right. So, and this is cool because uh, it begins kind of in Medius race in the middle of the story where Batman is giving this really overly flowery introduction, this kind of like Joseph Campbell, heart of darkness nonsense. <laughs> It's it sets the mood, though. Yeah. So Batman is parachuting down into uh, somewhere along the Mexico Guatemala border. Uh, and you see this this the sort of jungly area and and the uh, temple and, and all sorts of stuff. And then he is lands and is immediately set upon by this gigantic crocodile. This big alligator. <laughs> it's great. It's great. I, I mean, the, all, it's it's all of my greatest fears come to life. I don't want to go to the Amazon because I assume that I'm going to be eaten by an like, anaconda, a crocodile, or any sort of horrible creature in that area. So this 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 justifies all of my fears straight away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he is then encountered and, and saved, but also not saved by a woman named Hyatt who. Is not Ripley. Is not Ripley, <laughs> but is definitely meant to take on the Ripley role in this story, for better or for worse. At first. At first. Spoiler warning for this book. Four. It's four dollars on Comicsology. Go have fun. Um, <laughs> so she shoots at the crocodile, and and uh, Batman's like no, and Batman wrestles the crocodile and and beats it in a fight, and then the crocodile swims off. And we're introduced to this idea that the crocodile is not evil. The crocodile is just a crocodile. It does what it does. It, it, it does what it needs to do to survive. 
and that's such a Batman way of thinking. I really liked that they set this tone for Batman. Yes. Um, he, he's not going to kill unnecessarily. Right. And and so then you're introduced to this whole like, special ops team, which is basically your typical aliens, monster food, like colonial marines type yeah. of cast. And they all fit a certain role. <laughs> These are the guys that are going to die over the course of the story. <laughs> But they do they do it really well. I, I I this is why I say it works so well as both a Batman story and an alien story because the the type of Marines you get are yeah they fill the archetype but they do a really good job of giving each character something to do and they they all push the story along because the the one weird thing about this this is why I said that this is kind of the the latter two Batman stories is at first it seems like. Some of these guys don't know who Batman is. <laughs> like, it's, some are like, "Oh yeah, they he, like they make jokes later about him being in Gotham." But like, at first, I'm like, "Who is this guy?" Well, it, and, it, it could it could literally be that they are aware of Batman, but they've never seen a picture of him. So it's like when this guy in a bat suit but shows that, up. It's the urban legend thing, and I, I I do like I said that this is not a criticism. I love that. I love the idea that like they're like, just like who is this wacky guy? <laughs> Hyatt seems to know the most about Batman out of all of them, but yes. Um, and I think from here it becomes kind of a standard alien story in in certain parts you have your your beats of you know discovering this alien temple of a crashed ship and obviously these guys this is what they're looking for but we finally found out like halfway through this 50 page comic why batman's even there because the entire time i'm like why is batman parachuting into south america on and on what he calls a mercy mission and we we never really get a good reason why at first because it's but this is again what one of the things i love about it because batman is not beholden to these people he doesn't need to tell them why he's there he has no he doesn't he has no reason to trust them at all and does not trust them at all for good for no reason i love that like batman comes in he kind of like tells them what to do and even the captain who tries to fight batman which doesn't go well for for the captain um they're, they they finally are are basically okay. We're we're both here for specific reasons. This guy does not want what we're after, so we're just gonna let him tag along. And even though Batman still ca- kind of calls the shots, until they kind of come across, I think the first alien that pops up. Well, in well they find, no, the, the, they no, no, find not, not not xenomorph, but right. the first alien. They find the ship crashed in in the jungle. And so they go, so they, so they're all of a sudden they're, they're encountering this alien spacecraft and they're a little more freaked out by it. Batman is totally cool because he's Batman and well, he's friends with aliens, <laughs> but, uh, again, we never, like if, if he had at least said like, you know, Clark never told me about this, like something <laughs> like that, I would have been like, all right, this, this, but no, this isn't a continuity. And this is kind of how I always look at some of these crossovers is it's that old school thought of this book takes place in its own world. Because we don't hear about any other superhero, and because Batman doesn't seem to have that kind of omniscient knowledge, or, or people don't have that omniscient knowledge of Batman, it makes me think: okay, this is this at the very least is the crime fighter starting off in his early years. We know that Robin exists because he talks about having a partner, and that being the only person he trusts. Oh, see, I read that and I thought it was Alfred. <laughs> Oh, I, I read that and thought it might be Dick Grayson. Like, I have one partner, that's it. So what, what what I love about this, they come across this alien spacecraft, and Seeley, the captain of the, uh, the, the Merc squad, is like, oh, this must be what you're looking for. And Batman's just like, no, this isn't what I'm looking for. And again, there's more mystery. There's more mystery. And, and let me see, the first... The first time that we encounter anything that would lead us to be any alien thing related is 19 pages into this. We're on page 19 when uh, when we are first seeing the husk of an egg and an alien, uh, not a xenomorph, but like another type of alien, plastered to the wall with a hole in mm-hmm. his chest. And this, because if you're an, if you're a fan of aliens or at least know about aliens, you know what this means. But, and honestly, props to Wrightson because this art is horrific. 
Like the Batman figure work in this particular panel is not the best, but the focus is on this alien that's been, you know, basically uh, webbed to the wall, the open chestbuster, and basically everyone looking on in horror. And in that, it's it's fantastic. My only real complaint about the artwork is that sometimes Batman looks a little off in some of the panels, but I can't complain too much because this artist tries to do a lot. And a lot of that is probably a problem of the coloring and the inking and not in the pencils themselves. And this is also all pre-digital where yes. nowadays it's really easy to zoom in fully on your big Intuos display and draw little tiny details and zoom out. Can't really do that back in the day. Uh, but I, I but I also love the the writing in this because they have they have set up your characters in the group. So you've got the the tough as nails Captain Seely, and you've got the slightly jokier Vanderpool, and you've got Paige who is sort of your everyman, and you've got Gantry who is very clearly wearing a cross around his neck. And the second that they come across this this horrific scene, all of a sudden he starts doing a prayer like i will fear, fear no evil that and and, and I'll, lord's uh, prayer yeah yeah but and, what's interesting about that is this is clearly a black black ops team that has according to Celie, done some shady stuff before so what's it, on the team. yeah exactly like I, why why is this a clearly <laughs> deeply religious person the only thing I, I can think of is he's never come across something otherworldly and it's kind of kind of triggering triggering that lizard brain thing of, of his. If he is a religious person, then then he is clearly freaked out because they they also come come across the idea that that some, seeing something alien is not everyday for most people. And this is why it makes me think that maybe Superman is not a thing in in this story. You know, as far as a concept goes. But again, it's one of those things where Superman. Do people know that Superman is an alien? You know, a lot of people don't know that. I mean, it's again, it depends on where this takes place. So then that's why it's it's kind of more important to just just leave it as a Batman story and not a DC Universe story. Sure. So as we go through the the group, the group decides to uh, to go back out. Smart, smart, smart. They leave <laughs> the ship to get to set up camp for the night because they're smart. Uh, and uh, of course, then. <laughs> They shoot at a howler monkey for no reason. They shoot at a howler monkey who's being annoying, and they go they go off and and it's at the camp that again there's little subtle things in this in this camp that I that I absolutely love where Hyatt is again trying to give Batman a gun. So good. And, and you know why don't you carry a gun? And he and it's just this panel of Hyatt looking at Batman who's looking off in the distance, and he says, "I have my reasons." And in the smoke coming off of the fire is the picture of his mom with a gun pointed at her smoking and and it's so it's great it's so good i i mean again i have some problems with maybe the coloring or or something with the way that this panel looks as far as that goes but like as far as the penciling goes this is great i I, because hyatt kind of has a smirk on her face that i don't think is intentional and but he turns the question around immediately. What about you? What do you carry a gun? And then she she gives you this whole thing about her being ambitious, and that's where you, where you get kind of your first clue about who Hyatt really is. Yeah. Uh, because not only is she Ripley, but she's also like part Burke. She's Rip Burke. Rip Burke. So of course, and, this is where this is where things really kick off, and we get into the actual alien side of things the guy that's shot at the howler monkey they they and ran off they try to go find him of course they find him posted up on uh on the wall and uh, do, well, do they find the oh no i take it back we find the other the other guy first um, yes um because you have this whole scene where batman's kind of doing his detective thing and i really love this scene because this is where you get some of the levity because he's like I've never seen anything like this before. And they, they all who are, are accustomed to who Batman is and what he's capable of are like, oh, great, something he's never seen before. And I think this is this is where we get the reason that Batman is here. Yeah, because they're looking for they're looking for for uh for Paige, but they don't find him. 
they find another human posted to the wall whose name is Abel Barrett, who was a Wayne Tech scientist that was looking for copper deposits that disappeared and stopped checking in. And his wife and daughter asked Bruce Wayne to ask Batman to find him. So this is where I have to say this does not exist in the greater DCU. This is where I have to say it is it is Batman the street crime detective and the urban legend because not that Batman wouldn't do this, but it feels like such a very specific thing like to Gotham and to Batman that I can't imagine – not that this wouldn't be on his radar as Bruce Wayne, but it just – he would have sent somebody else if, if this was the greater – you know, DCU Batman. So I, I have to think this is, and we see with what he's got, he's, he's not, he doesn't have the grappling gun. He's got the line and the batarang. He's, he's working with a limited amount of stuff. So I, I, I have to think this is that kind of Batman. And this is what I love about a lot of these dark horse DC crossovers is you get these interesting takes on the character. Um, I want, I want to, I want to kind of, sidebar here to to say that dark horse and dc have done a number of crossovers since the 90s and it's not just using aliens or the very very popular batman predator books they have done batman tarzan and that was excellent batman terminator which is possibly one of my favorite terminator comics interesting they they do some really good things because they Dark Horse doesn't just care about cashing in on the crossover. They want it. They they also want to tell a good story with their properties. And here we see, I, I feel like we see the Batman that we don't get to see enough of because he's there as a compassionate human being. And I feel like a lot of modern Batman writing has kind of forgotten about that aspect of Batman. If if you know what I mean? Yeah. So I I, I just I love this because I feel like. Again, Ron Mars really knew how to write both franchises and wrote this incredible story that felt like a good haunted alien story with Batman in it. I can't agree more with that. I I really this this book it's so good. And this it's book so good. Is, is a fantastic Batman story and a fantastic alien story, and it's the same story. So I, I just. Mm. I, 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 I really want this to be animated. I really want this to be animated. And I'm I'm really bummed that Marvel, I think, now has the rights to Predator and Alien. Because they bought Fox, so. Yeah, so we're never going to see the animated movie about this that I want. Because no. we got Batman Turtles, the animated movie, but we're not going to get Batman Alien, ever. <laughs> so as as we move further into this, this is really when the story becomes an alien story. We, mm-hmm. We're finding out about this, and then all of a sudden, we they they I don't know whether they hear a scream. I can't quite remember. Um, and then they finally find Paige, the guy they were looking for, and he is also plastered to the wall. And he's telling them about these things that grabbed him and put him up and put a uh, put an egg in front of him and da 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 da. And the, and Batman notices that there's already a face hugger on the floor. Aliens also work a little bit faster in this. <laughs> that is my complaint because in the film it takes a good while he's home for i think he's i would say about a day and a half um i can't remember the first guy who got uh attacked by the alien in the film but it does it doesn't happen immediately like it does in this in this comic yeah so uh and so uh, at, at this point again we get the we get the 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 difference like uh Seely shoots him in the head. And so he dies. And honestly, if you're if you're a fan of the alien comics, you're like, yeah, that's what you should do. But Batman, he he don't have that lack of morality. Because Batman would have found another way. Somehow, Batman would have found another way. But I also love the idea that this is just more more information as batman recalls mm-hmm. later when no there's only th- we saw three of those things because they're get they of course because of the gunshot get set upon by three xenomorphs they kill one at the time and it's like there's only two left because there can only be two more because page was killed before his thing happened which 
I guess killed him too, which is not usually how that works. But yeah, I can't remember. Works. It really depends on the gestation period, and I, I legit do not remember. It's been a while since I've I've done a deep dive in my xenomorph, yeah, <laughs> rabbit holes. Uh, but this is so. So now of the original four person squad, we've lost Paige. We lose Gantry in this scene in the the stereotypical alien grabbing someone, getting them really close, and then hitting them with the the second mouth. Uh, and I, I, again, this is this is a testament to the artist because um, not only is the the kind of the the battle scene pretty good, but that one page where the alien takes him and is about to basically use the second mouth to, you know, I guess impale his face. It's, it's a terrifying page. It's a very well drawn and, and well executed moment that the mood of this comic is exceptional because I feel like in that way, this is more of an alien comic because the, the mood stays consistent to an alien story, an alien book. Batman's just in it. Yeah. In that way. And and so we're we're left with this Seely sacrifices himself in another alien movie trope of exploding a grenade to kill himself alongside the others. And and that's really where our first issue ends. As, oh no no no. Well, hang no, on. No, no. I'm getting there. <laughs> where where we have uh Hyatt and Van and Batman kind of they're they're in some rubble, they're sealed off from the other from the other aliens right now as they're kind of just licking their wounds for a second and but they're also sealed off from their exit yeah so and as our issue closes that big gigantic crocodile from the very beginning of the book that batman fought comes up to uh to a cavern and oh what's this there's an egg that opens scene and if you know anything about aliens it's that they tend to take on attributes of the creatures that they hatch from so i know a lot of alien fans are like oh man we're gonna get a gator alien and and the second issue i mean the cover is not as i would say classic looking as the first but it's still a really cool image of batman basically face to face with a xenomorph kind of grabbing that second mouth and Which is something that he does in the first issue it's just, yeah uh, it's. I mean, I think what I really enjoyed about this first issue is not only did it set the mood, but I think these prestige, like fifty-page books. And I remember, I remember when this book came out, it had that really hard cardboard stock for the covers. Like when you pick that up, you feel like this is something different. This is this is a special event, and a lot of crossovers tended to be special events. And I gotta hand it to the entire, uh, you know crew that created this is they make this feel like a special event i mean and that's kind of hard to do especially now because crossovers are not as frequent as they used to be but in in 1997 i mean everyone was crossing over even dc and marvel not just outside the big dc versus marvel i mean they they had crossovers all the time so it was really cool to see one that was treated as a prestige event and it was, I think, I guess the te- the technical term was it was forty eight pages with ads, um, and and Drew, this one opens up in a way that I know you loved the second issue. <laughs> so this issue opens up to a black and white, well, more of a sepia tone. Thomas and and wow, what's his mom's name again? I can never remember. Uh, oh, Stop that! Dude, <laughs> shut up right now. I will, I will end this podcast right now. <laughs> uh, leaving a movie theater, as we often see, except you can see the the title on the marquee is not Zorro, but it came from outer space. And the poster behind them, you can see, uh, is is kind of off to the side. It very much looks like that xenomorph. And they go down the dark alley, and they're not set upon by by two muggers with guns. All of a sudden, Thomas Wayne has a has a face hugger on his face, and and a chest burster bursts out of Martha Wayne's chest, and it's and then it wakes up, and you wake up, and and Batman has a chest burster coming out of his chest, but oh, oh. in true alien fashion, it's a dream. 
Uh, one thing I love about this entire thing is one is because I mean, <laughs> as as most of my friends know, and I'm, I I maybe have mentioned this a few times on the podcast, is I'm kind of overseeing the Waynes die, <laughs> but this is this is a really cool twist on it. And one thing I, I did love is where Bruce says, "I wish we had gone seen Zorro instead." That a fun little you know poke back to his thing. But my favorite is. I think it's like the fourth or fifth page of the book is that classic David uh, Mazzuccelli, uh Bruce Wayne kneeling on the ground with his dead parents. But instead of them being shot, one has a chest burster, you know, popped out and one has a uh, face hugger on their face. And I, I have to say that Wrightson did a great job, like recreating that moment and perverting it to an alien story. Um, I love this book. It's so good. I just I, 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 I will say what did kind of bum me out is is the scene afterward because you see Batman go no with this weird fear stricken face and then immediately Hyatt's like I guess you're human after all and I think that just because we what, Drew and I both have that kind of idea of Batman being sort of the the, the perfect human <laughs> and. This this definitely distorts it a little bit. Yeah, I can. I I, I it was a it, dream. It, I can forgive it, it a little bit. But again, no. But this him. Is but him. Call, but him calling out no and being called out for it is it doesn't happen very often in it, terms it, of the stories. What's funny about this is that it probably wasn't the, it, the again the multilevular nature of this. It wasn't the aliens, the xenomorphs that were scaring Batman. It was it was his parents dying again. The thing that has driv- driven him the entire time. Yeah, and and even then, it's like because <laughs> he's like, I, I should have slept. I apologize. I feel like Batman wouldn't have just taken a nap. I I don't know. The, this is the one scene that kind of throws it off for me. But I mean, they they immediately get back into it and. Again, yeah, he refuses that gun. There's and, uh, there's a pretty breakneck pace from this point forward because they're because they got to get out of here. They got to get out of here. They're cut off from their original exit. He refuses a gun again, uh, but then all of a sudden, oh, you know who saves the day? Bats, baby, bats. Uh, because Batman relies on the bats. He knows a lot of them. He's friends with he's friends with a lot of them. Uh, he eats lunch with Man Bat uh, every uh, every quarter. Oh hush! There's a doctor. He saved him, uh, and and he sort of gleans that the bats, because they're going out, they must know of another exit, so they just follow the bats. Yeah, and again, this 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 part of the story does something that I feel like every Batman movie has still failed to do with the exception of maybe mask the phantasm is we get that, that brilliant detective Batman because they stumble across these ancient hieroglyphics and, and Batman is, I mean, he's able to glean the meaning from them, but he even says it's more of an art form and visual poetry than actual literal translation, but he's able to like do this on the fly and and talks about how he memorized basically this this form of hieroglyphics like because they were only discovered 40 years ago something like and that. I, I but i, I oh, love we this we should also mention keep in mind that we're now the ship had crashed into the temple we're now in the temple um yeah the i think it's a mayan temple yeah but I mean, again, I, I love I love seeing this aspect of Batman, like where he's using all of his knowledge and wits in a situation where he's kind of that Sherlock Holmes type character. And of course, our boy here, he can't seem to, to stay out of trouble <laughs> and uh, comes across uh, one, of, one of the last I think it's the last, you know, more uh, it is the la- well, because they they that they know of. No, because there's two that they come across, and then they kill one with a grenade, and. Uh, but this is this is the non-gator one. Yes. So. 
the, he comes across the two van uh, uh, comes across the two and in a great moment where he shoots the xenomorph and <laughs> it sprays acid on his helmet and Batman knocks his helmet off real quick and, and, and he's like hey you took my helmet <laughs> you need your skull more now move <laughs> such a great line such a great line I really dig this this writing so they they, they get another fight they kill they kill one of the final two xenomorphs again. The grenade that Batman uses to destroy the xeno one of the xenomorphs for some reason doesn't hurt them, but kills the xenomorph. Whatever. Uh, they they have now done a collapse of the, of the cave again. So now they're cut off from that, and they keep moving forward, and they find themselves in a pretty rad like mouth of this ancient gigantic statue underground that's surrounded by waterfalls and and it it does give a space jockey feel doesn't it a bit yeah because there's also this raised sort of dais that that we have found was also used for 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 sacrificial purposes uh uh earlier on and uh What's funny about all of this is that did did you uh, ever see the first? I know you did. I'm sure you did. The first Alien versus Predator movie. I saw it in theaters opening night. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> so that whole movie uh, is all about the Predators going to a temple on Earth where they test themselves against an entrapped alien queen who is creating aliens. Mm hmm. And here we have aliens in an underground temple. Now, there is no queen that we see here or, or any indication of a queen. I'm just wondering if there's any creative DNA that maybe somebody borrowed. There there might have been. Um, the Alien vs. Predator movie has a long history to it. Um, and a lot of it started with the novel by S.D. Perry. And there's still, there still some DNA of that novel in the movie so I, I i can't i can't say for sure but i'm, I'm sure like that that idea obviously was used in in alien vs predator so i mean i i could i could imagine that there was conversations because ron morris did write alien comics as well and and that could have originated in alien comics before it was shown in batman aliens i don't know i'm just shooting the breeze at this well point. he he wrote i think one called like alien in incubation which, which was a it came out in oh, a dark horse presents issue and i pretty sure that dark horse said this was meant to be a prequel to the batman alien story interesting i haven't read it so i, I can't say for sure well now i want to investigate see if uh see if Celia and hyatt <laughs> and van and gantry show up uh, I, I don't think they do but <laughs> <laughs> so so again so we're now here batman because he's got climbing gear climbs up to figure out what's going on and as this happens oh who shows up but the xenomorph, the last xenomorph that they fought, and it's it's menacing Van, who's injured and, and lying on the ground, and Hyatt has the gun pulled. She raises it to the sky and takes a shot. Oh, we now know. Yeah, and and because you see you see it from that perspective, you you're like, oh, I don't trust this this lady at all. And especially when she's like, don't leave me. I don't want to be alone with tears flowing down her face. You're like, okay, something is up because we had seen before and we didn't mention this, but when they come across the Wayne tech personnel that had been attacked by the alien, she, she takes something from him. So we know that she's got more to her than that. And you, 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 you had that with the, conversation about her being ambitious and well when batman takes her up to the top she pistol whips him but it doesn't last very long because what happens to, to come across her next the and this is maybe the the one thing that i am in hindsight i'm a little disappointed by uh, the design of the uh crocodile xenomorph yeah the crocodile xenomorph is big and beefy and muscular and it is seems to be more of a a quadrupedal xenomorph than a bipedal xenomorph kind of like we see the dog alien in alien 3 right 
but it doesn't have like a snappy crocodile mouth or anything. Yeah, like I'm right there with you. There's there's elements you see where it has kind of the uh, almost like a cross stitch kind of scale look in in certain aspects of it, and it does have the the longer tail. Like th- there like there is an aspect of it that's beefier, like you said. But I was like you a little disappointed in this design. I thought it was a tad lazy. Um, it's still cool looking, but it's. When you tell me you're going to have a crocodile or alligator or xenomorph, I I want to see something something wild. It is also possible that they drew that and it came out looking real dumb because I could also see that happening. Sure. And I also love Hyatt's thing. What is this? <laughs> As if she hasn't encountered xenomorphs before. Um <laughs> And, and and this the, uh, one thing we we haven't really mentioned is this comic for a Batman book is very violent. Well, it's very um, bloody more than anything. I mean, they, yeah, I mean, well, we see um, it, what happens to Hyatt is the second mouth like goes through her torso, and I mean they they don't hide any of the the red flesh, and that's part of it being a a, a dark horse book, and of course after it's finished with. Hyatt, it's going right for for old bats. And this is again where I love Batman and all of this stuff is almost super, well, I mean, it's a giant alien monster, so of course it's supernatural, but <laughs> it's it's the a bit of realism. He finds a sword on the ground there for some reason there's a sword. I don't know. I don't care. Yeah, there's also a spear right afterwards. So I think you're supposed to like take it as these, these are basically left there by the prior yeah. uh, the Mayans or whatever hundreds of years ago. But and he cuts off, he slashes and cuts the Xeno, the big Krakos, Krakomorph, Krakosinomorph. And the acid sprays down and he realizes that this circular disc on top of this big dais is right above lava basically a lava makes vent. no sense at all well there's underground lava vents and stuff that we there, there is that concrete here. would have been donezo i don't know, I don't know. no it would have been donezo uh, but this is again that is not how lava works <laughs> this is again where batman has has done his 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 research so he realizes that if he can just stab this thing a few more times he can use that acid to break the wall and it'll just fall into the lava and hopefully die which is what he does. And then he's set upon by the other xenomorph because let's remember it didn't get killed. And then he kills it too. He throws it down. Yeah. Um, I, I, so here's the thing about that. I like the the kind of last scare aspect of it, but it does it does take away from a little bit from the grand finale, especially how silly because he he ties that up with basically a, a batarang line and it's all tied up as it, as it falls down to the lava and it looks ridiculous it looks like a like the joker falling into a lava pit um but i mean at the same time you know batman crawls out you get that kind of heart of darkness you know it ends with dawn chasing the darkness like a parent's touch banishing banishing a child's nightmares like this very lavish um like denouement for this story but see i love this because he's he's, no no i'm I'm not criticizing it at all because he's I'm, I'm going to read some of it because I love this. Particular yeah, go for moment. it. He's, birthday, bat, he's at the bat computer. He's got his, all his bandages and he's, he's just kind of typing. I'm left to contemplate the ordeal. Perfect engines of carnage. Barrett called them, but evil. No, the aliens are simply what they are like the shark or the crocodile. Yet I did confront evil in the labyrinth beneath the ruins, the same evil I confront each night in Gotham's canyons. Greed, lust for power, disregard for life. Human evil. Barrett was right. Destroying them was the only option. The alien's physiology is far too dangerous for anyone to possess. But not because of what they are. Because of what we are. It is such a wonderful Batman moment and and this is where I'm I'm kind of surprised that Ron Mars hasn't written as much Batman as he has because that little bit to me shows me that he really gets Batman he gets Bruce Wayne yeah and 
we see that him like basically he i think he was still dead that he had like a, a little face hugger i think it's probably just one that he he picked up from from the ground or whatever a, a, as you do and and chucks it down into the bottom of the bat cave because we, this is this is a time where the bat cave was like one little like oval over a mass chasm of <laughs> of the abyss and and that's how batman alien ends and i got to say this is a this is a pitch perfect alien story uh, i was satisfied with the the tension the the, the detail that we saw of of the xenomorphs and the highlighting when it needed to be um i I don't want to say haunting but it had that kind of horror feel to it but at the same time it also completely captured the spirit of batman we got to see batman do some really cool things he wasn't useless but he wasn't overpowered against these aliens he didn't have an answer for everything he didn't have a gadget for everything and I like that's why I like seeing kind of more the streetwise Batman because it's more of his ingenuity and wit that saves him than coming up with a cool gadget. Yeah. Um, this this was a great book, Drew. This was a great birthday challenge. <laughs> I I had not had the chance to read this book before, and I was very very happy with it. I if you have not read Batman Aliens and you sat through our jabber jawing about it. I highly recommend it. This is a top tier crossover. This is what a crossover should be is you take two very different properties. Not maybe should be, but like if you're taking two very different properties, like Batman and alien and you put them together and you tell a story that is in the kind of mood of alien, but it still remains to be a Batman story. I mean, this is, this is perfect. (laughs) I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. I'm glad I enjoyed it to be quite honest, because I remembered little bits of it. I I am so impressed by this book. I know, man, It, it holds up even better today than it did in 1997 when I read it for the first time. Well, it's the, and it's also that art. Cause I remember in 97, when this was published, they would have had those glossy pages, those really weird glossy pages that sometimes the, the layer of the art could sometimes get lost. Hmm. The, the, the inking coloring sometimes would bleed out. And we're in this uh, digitally, I think uh, maybe kind of color corrected some of that, but I mean, the art was pitch perfect. Um, I, 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 I'm a classic fan of that that oval Batman. I love that <laughs> oval Batman, and uh, we we got some cool Batman moments. And I mean, you can't have a crossover like this and not have Batman be a little overcome sometimes. Um, I, I, I was a little, I was a little bummed out when he got kind of glocked by his girl Friday type thing it was a little like ah i could see this happening to like nightwing but i figured batman would be a little on point but this is why i think that maybe he was early on his career because he was talking about a partner that means robin and he doesn't specify so you know we see the cave we see a giant card i don't even think we see the dinosaur in there do we oh the dinosaur's in there and the giant thing is it okay um, so I, I still gotta imagine this as early in his career, but either way, this is this is how to do a crossover. I will say, um, while I did enjoy the historical importance of uh, Superman versus the Amazing Sp- Spider-Man and Batman versus the Incredible Hulk, this story was fully enjoyable from top to bottom, and I think that it completely nailed what. A crossover should be and we have to look at that because you know we we look back at comics and comics have been around for a very very long time at this point almost yeah a, almost a hundred years in the contemporary way that we think of comic books as, as a publishing medium but it was really in the 1990s where i have seen comics go from being one particular thing to being you'd have you've had the the indie comics boom and and i know there were always indie comics that were outside of the the, i I don't want to don't want to diminish any any particular favorites from the past but comics as a storytelling medium evolved at some point in the late 1980s into early 1990s for the mass market and yeah absolutely um We we saw some of that evolution between 1976 and 1981 last week when Superman versus Spider-Man was 
very dry and very dull and Batman versus the Hulk was still kind of in that that milieu but such a much better told story and yeah then- I mean it, it's hard to say because I, I feel like starting in the 70s with certain books and going from there sure. you had a focus on developing characters it was no lo- longer like you know come on chum and while I enjoy that type of of attitude like that you see in batman brave and the bull the animated series the type of writing did not elevate it at all but you started to see digging a character more and in the late 80s and especially the 90s like you said you start seeing this focus on character you're gonna roll your eyes but this is where i like that's when the tim drake robin book started the chuck dixon robin book and the chuck dixon nightwing book and you see these characters when they're when they're by themselves have these really drawn out personal arcs and development that you would not have seen in 1955. Well, and, and you also have to look at, at DC Comics in particular. Crisis on Infinite Earths was what, 85? Four. 84? 84, 85, yeah. And it's right after that that Batman Year One happens. You've got, that's what, 87, yep. I want to say. And that's really when a lot of, uh, you know, Dark Knight, uh, Dark Knight Returns was, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But again, it's, I hate Frank Miller. <laughs> I know you do. I know you do. I, I actually think that Batman Year One is, is still is still very good. But uh, it's it has good moments. I definitely agree with that. I mean, I think that's also true for Dark Knight Returns, though. I think that it loses itself in the end. I think the first issue of Dark Knight Returns is very good. And the rest of it is kind of, what are we doing here? Can, I can, I, I'll give you that. And and. The same that works with with Miller's art. Um, what and also? Oh, go ahead. But anyway, but what I'm saying is, so what we have with Batman Aliens is we have at least a decade of people getting good at telling those kinds of stories. You yes. also you also have not just those kinds of stories, but those ways that those characters have evolved into, and 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 the ways that these stories have evolved. And and just people are better at doing it, and this is what we get when just people are have more experience at this point. Well, and 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 in the '90s, I feel like DC got better at doing what everyone has always said Marvel has done better. In that, and you and you and you mentioned this last week, where how DC is known for its I, iconic characters, and Marvel is known for its realistic superheroes. Well, in the 90s, you had this focus mostly on the family characters, on your Robin, your Nightwing, your Donna Troy, your Impulse, your Wally West, all these legacy characters who were built up around these icons and how they dealt with being the shadow of those, I mean, basically Greek gods, was was really how DC told their stories. And that's how they developed their realistic characters, because all of these characters had real lives, real, real things going on, high school or jobs. And I feel like that's why so many people were so mad when the new 52 came out is because it erased a lot of that. You know, you raise a very interesting question that I think about, I I think about the, the sort of icons like your Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman is the larger than life. But then I of course forget your Nightwings, your, your Robin threes, you know all the the, well, the characters that 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 are more down to earth and are more everyday problems and 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 angsty. well i think what's so cool about those characters is when you read them living in the shadow of and, and it is even with wally west as the flash he would constantly talk about living in the shadow of barry allen so even though he was the flash the icon he was still kind of that kid flash growing up and when you have these characters living to uh, or trying to live up to an expectation set by their mentor, I think it makes for a very compelling story. And that's why I don't like getting into that DC versus Marvel nonsense, because I love characters in both camps. Yeah, but I, 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 you have to. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, as a fan of the medium, as a fan of superheroes, absolutely. But I mean, how our friend, um, our friend and poor, uh, former co-host, Mike, talks about how he just DC is not interesting to him, like across the board, because of the way that media has been presented to him. It's not that he has sat down and read the comics that we have, and I'm not trying to to bash Mike, but 
you and I both know he hasn't read certain things that might change his mind. Yeah, and that. and that's not and that's not his that's not his problem. I mean, no. he he like a lot of us in the 1990s were reading Marvel comics because that's what was on TV, especially X Men. Yeah, so and that's more his his side of things, and that's fine. But I, think, I don't I don't but blame I, you. What I like about what this crossover does is it shows us even the more human side of Batman. Getting to see his, because a lot of Batman stuff was written as, you know, he'd have a couple lines, but it was mostly Batman being kind of the omniscient, you can't beat him type of character, especially, especially Bruce Wayne after Bane. But this book, I mean, he's very human. He's very human. He still wins, but you got to show that struggle. (laughs) Got to make it, (laughs) got to make it look tough. Well, no, but it is. I mean, you see, I mean, his costume gets damaged. He gets damaged. He gets, uh, I mean, surprised by a rando, you know, when he gets, he gets, uh, pistol whipped, (laughs) you know, I mean, that wouldn't happen to Grant Morrison's Batman. Uh, that wouldn't happen to, uh, Jeff Lopes Batman, you know, but, but even still, I, I, I definitely think that, uh, of the three crossovers we read so far, this has been the one that I think encaptures both franchise the best and delivers something. I mean, this is chocolate and peanut butter. These are two things that are very, very different and come together to make a very, very tasty snack. <laughs> well, that is going to wrap up our discussion of Batman aliens, Batman yeah, I, slash I, aliens. Once again, happy birthday, buddy. This was a blast. <laughs> Thank you. So once again, you can find this on Comixology. It's two issues, two bucks each. Did not appear to be a sale price, so that could get even cheaper at yeah. some point. Um, I don't, you, you ain't going to get in print anytime soon. So, <laughs> And I don't think you're going to find it on any of the uh, the subscription comic services, just because I think there's probably too, much, too many rights issues involved. But I don't know. I didn't check there. Maybe should have before I spent the $4, but you know, it's four bucks. What are you going to do? So that with that said, I think we're going to switch focus and we're going to spend a week not talking about Batman. I'm, 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 I'm kind of excited. I, I, when I first made the last week's challenge, I had hoped not to have to include Batman, but when I found there was nothing else to be said about Batman versus Superman or Superman versus Spider-Man, I was I was like, well, we got we to gotta include the second big one, which, in, of course, included Batman. So next week, we are, we are still in the realm of things that both Drew and I very much love from two very, very different science fiction franchises. We are, we are we're going to see Paramount, Paramount and Marvel collide in Star Trek X-Men from 1996, I believe. <sighs> I have have you read this, Drew? I have not read it. I've seen because if I remember correctly, there was a comic series and then there was a novel, right? Yes. The novel was specifically, I think, TNG. Um, And uh, I'm going to have to look. There might have been like two separate issues where they kind of collide. But I think what happened, well, we'll we'll talk about next week. because I believe this is a a one shot um, that goes into the novel. We are not going to read the novel, which is Planet X by Michael Ian Friedman. Um, the the novel itself was Star Trek: The Next Generation slash X Men, and uh, I, as much as I want to talk about TNG, the 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 comic itself is Star Trek classic series tos and the x-men so this is the um, first time is, hearing of this and i'm slightly disappointed but that's okay that's okay well and, and the thing is um this is also a weird point in the x-men's here history this is like post wolverine having having his adamantium torn out so he's got that weird monkey face um where he wore like the bandana for a while um and uh I'm 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 excited to to take you on the on this ride. It's it's got a a, a decent uh, art team. Like I mean, you've got Scott Le- uh, not Scott Lobdell. He's a writer and also kind of a garbage human being. Uh, Mark Silvestri, Billy Tan, David Finch, uh, Brian Ching, and Anthony Wynn on, on art duties. And I mean, they do a tremendous job. You look at the cover, and it's 
it's fantastic. It, it it encapsulates kind of the Star Trek feel as well as the X-Men of the time comics feel. And I mean, these are two franchises that I love very much. I know Drew at least enjoys X-Men, but we all know Drew loves Star Trek as well as I do. I'm wearing a Star Trek and, shirt as we speak. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and and then this will possibly be a shorter episode because there is only a, a one shot. So um, we might talk a little bit about the novel itself uh, in terms of <laughs> cliff notes, but we are going to be specifically reading Star Trek X-Men. Um, and at the time it was Marvel comics slash paramount that was putting it out. I believe, um, top Cal had a hand in producing some artists, but, um, this is, this is Marvel paramount. And I am very, very excited to see the enterprise crew and the X-Men crew. Uh, cause I, I bought this when it came out. I have not read it in almost, uh, 20 years. So <laughs> I am very curious as to how this is going to go. Uh, preconceived notions, Drew. We haven't done this in a while. Uh, Star Trek X-Men, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, I know I put you on the spot, but it, it'll be fun. I feel like Scarlet Witch is going to be involved at some point to send them there. Although Scarlet Witch probably wasn't huge at this point. I'm thinking it's... She was still deep involved with the Avengers at the time. Yeah, she would not have been uh, an X-Men. I don't know. I... I mean, I, I'll tell you who the X Men that are specifically I, involved. I'm, I'm going to guess I'll it's going to be it's going to be what I consider the '90s X Men. Okay. Uh, Cyclops with with red hair. Cyclops, Jean mm-hmm. Grey. Yep. Wolverine, Storm. Yes. Yes. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Professor X in the hover chair. Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, I don't know. You've if got. You're on uh beast gambit and bishop will okay. also be there okay that makes sense um so almost all of the classic 90s x-men sans uh the best jubilee and um i am i'm excited i'm excited to go back and read this i'm excited for you to read this and we're going to talk about trek and you know what F it will probably give us because there uh, likely will not be a lot of background story for this uh our first impressions of lower decks We'll see. We'll see. We'll have a couple episodes under our uh, under our belts at that point. So yeah. So yeah. We'll, we'll give we'll give a little uh, a little, little top nerdy on that. A little tasty tasty treat. A little extra. So yeah. that is next week. Star Trek X Men crossover comic. What a world we live in. Uh, if you would like to reach out to us, you can find us at themoreyounerd.com. You can tweet to us at themoreyounerd. And you can email us themoreyounerd at gmail.com. That's themoreyounerd at gmail.com. Until next time, we end the show as we always do with a rousing... Nerd out. Nerd out.